Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church, starting from chapter 2, verse 17. So that's 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Please do keep that open and let's pray as we begin. Father, we ask this morning as we remember your good gifts, we praise you for your, the gift of your word your word in the Lord Jesus Christ, your word written down by those who knew him and by this Apostle Paul who was picked to teach the churches in the non-Jewish world. And we pray, Lord, as that applies to most of us, that we might be given your help, Lord. Just help us to understand what what you're saying on the page in front of us, what it means in our lives, what kind of church you're leading us to be, and help us to receive your word, to... Be those who are shaped by what you say more than by anything else. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's harvest. We thank God for all the good gifts he's given us. We've done that already. We've got lunch coming. It's worth looking forward to. And for most of us, most of the time, I mean, it's, it's just really important to have this season of the year, I think, for me anyway, because I just take it for granted that I go to the shop and there's food there. Don't you? I mean, I just sort of, yeah, yeah, of course there is. Whereas actually to mark it in the year and to say, goodness me, we need to be so thankful for the remarkable privilege that we have to live in this place at this time. So we're coming together to thank God, we're coming together to pray, as John led us, that after the 31st of October there will still be food on the shelves. Uh, We come together to put aside some of the, well, for most of us, extra that we have so that we can give to those less fortunate than ourselves. And we also come together at this time of year to remember the way God has made things. We plough the fields and scatter the good seed. Oh, and I don't do that, but the farmers do do that. And that's the way God's made things, that things grow. The food we eat, it takes time. The seed goes in the ground and then you've got to wait. You've got to wait and wait and wait and then harvest. And that picture of seeds growing, maybe some of us are gardeners, we we see that. 
Uh, most of us are just shoppers, so we don't particularly see that, but we remember at this time of year that actually there is a process built into the way God has made things, and Jesus chose to highlight that. Several times in his teaching, he said that his work, his kingdom, was like a seed being planted. When he spoke his word, when he taught men and women, boys and girls, it was like a seed, like a farmer throwing seed around, scattering it into the ground that it might grow towards a harvest. And that picture of seed, of Jesus' word, that's what happened 2,000 years ago. And actually, for the last 2,000 years, that word that he planted has been replanted as people have come to fruition in their Christian understanding and they've passed it on from one person to another. It's written down in the Bible so we can check it hasn't changed. But actually, in reality, in a family, in a community, in a church, what happens is one person who knows Jesus tells another person and the seed is planted again. But all of it is heading towards a future day which will be the harvest. Just like a farmer waiting for harvest, we live our lives in the light of a future day when God will judge the world, when Jesus comes back. So look down with me, would you, to chapter 2 and verse 19. That's um, that's intro to this context of what we're reading this morning. And Paul's talking about what he's looking forward to, but the, the, the day he's looking forward to is being in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. And that's the point I want to start us this morning, is to say that authentic church, authentic Christians, will be those who are living towards the future, looking forward to a harvest. We've already had it actually earlier in the letter, chapter 1, verse 10. He talks there at the end of the first chapter about waiting for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so if you look down the sheets, I've tried to put it in a way that captures the language here of glory and joy. To say that, authentic church, something worth living for in your life and mine, is treasuring Jesus' coming, meaning his future coming. Using the language of treasuring because it's saying that, actually, if we understand that the most precious thing for you and me is actually something in the future that Jesus will bring when he comes. And so, you and me, as we sort of say, well, what's, what's really worth having in my life? What's really precious in my life? What should I treasure and not part with on any, uh, for anything? To know Christ and to know that he's coming, that he'll save us from the coming wrath, and he'll be, we'll be with him face to face with God forever. That is something that actually you and I can live, looking forward to, live treasuring each day, living with eternity's values in view. So I wonder, do you have that focus in your life? A little bit? At all? A lot? A lot would be good. To actually wake up each day. I talk, we talked about a friend, with, uh, a friend of mine uh, who's also a vicar. Uh, we were talking about this and we were kind of going, oh yeah, we don't think about it enough, do we? He said, I get up each day and I remember that Jesus was born. I remember his life and his death for me, and I remember that he's coming. And he makes that a discipline. And I did that for 24 hours as well, until I forgot all about it, until this very moment, whilst I was preaching. I'm passing that on to say, actually, 
let's do what it takes to live with that future focus and treasure Christ's coming because it's a certainty and it's going to be so wonderful. So much more than the temporary treasures of here and now. Thinking about this metaphor of harvest, what will be the harvest of my life? What will be the harvest of your life? What's growing, if you like, in your life right now? Last week, what was growing inside you? What was growing around you? What's growing in this room when we meet in this room amongst us as a church? What, what will be the harvest of us? It's the right question to ask. I want to ask myself that as much as anybody else. Uh, John Piper is uh, an American, he's a preacher and an author. Uh, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. It's kind of his style. Um, he talks about the massive danger for American Christians of being regular in church but investing everything really in the American dream rather than in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So working ridiculous hours to buy the huge house with the pool, the garages for the car, the yacht down at the marina, retiring early to spend time sailing from beach to beach, enjoying the sunshine and collecting seashells. And he asks, what is that Christian going to say to Jesus when he comes? Look at my collection of seashells? Not much of a harvest for a life, is it? What about me? What about you? What would the harvest of our lives be? We're probably all aware of the expression that you don't want to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. We're all aware of that. Is that a danger for you? It's not massively for me. I could do with being a lot more heavenly minded and then I might be more earthly good because I get my focus right and my priorities right, wouldn't I? Because unless we remember what really matters and we look to the future, it'll be so easy to fill our lives with lovely trinkets. Not necessarily actual seashells, but I don't know, cars and phones and clothes and jewellery and holidays and meals and fun experiences. They're all great, but none of them are going to last, are they? Well, look what Paul says matters most if we have that future focus. He's actually not talking about what we have in our homes or what we fill our lives with. Uh, so much as the relationships we have with other Christian people. His example, and he, he talks it through here, he shares it to encourage the Thessalonians, but there's something so inspiring about that example. He's someone who lives treasuring Christ's coming. That's the future. And what it means here and now is that he's also treasuring Christ's people. The thing that's most important in Paul's life are other people and other people growing more like Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at his example. I, I don't know what you think of this man, Paul, uh, if you think anything at all, how you feel about him. Uh, I, I ask that because for some people he has a reputation for being a bit harsh, a bit wooden, a bit sort of, you know, firm and theoretical, a sort of ivory tower professor writing his long letters because, you know, we all need a hobby, don't we? If that's what you've thought or felt about Paul, look again at what he actually says here. Look again at his language as Joe read it to us. It's just, it's just really intense and deep. It's kind of almost embarrassing to read some of what he writes. Verse 17 when we were orphaned by being separated from you. 
And you think, gosh, calm down, Paul. Um, verse 20, look down. You are our glory and joy. And you think, wow, this guy is utterly invested emotionally and psychologically in his relationship with these people. And then he opens up to them, he tells them his fears, his insecurities, his anxieties, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 5. When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And he's concerned because he's left these brand new Christians in a city where the opposition is so fierce that he and the others have had to run. But the Thessalonian Christians couldn't run, they lived there. So they're being persecuted, Paul's being persecuted, the pressure is enormous and he's worried Looking again at chapter 3, verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. And notice he doesn't just think about them and think, oh gosh, I'm really worried about them. doesn't even just think, I'm worried, I'll pray. actually does something. So verse 2 talks about sending Timothy to strengthen and encourage them, even though that's really costly to Paul. And we'll think more about that next week. These people who, we get this letter in our, in our Bibles, these are people who Paul loves, he's totally committed to, not some kind of academic exercise. Chapter 2, verse 19 again. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus come, when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I just want to say, wow, as I read that. Do I think of other Christians in that way? Do you? Is there anyone you know who you could say that about? There probably is, isn't there? People you're really invested in. Well, Paul says that's the whole Christian family for him. You are our glory and joy. You may have heard me say before, I love it, Uh, it's in my memory, this little ditty, um, to live above with those you love, undiluted glory, to live below with those you know. Quite another story. I like that. (laughs) But it's the opposite of what Paul says. And that's the challenge here. It's so inspiring. He says, to live below with those you know, you are our glory and joy. Come on! Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, But that's the sort of sense of his investment, his passion for these people. He treasures Christ's people. He sees so clearly, you see, that the only thing in this world that lasts forever is people. Well, my parents were down over the summer. um, It's an excuse to be tourists. It's quite fun. Uh, We visited the Tower of London and I took a photo when I was inside uh, that captured the middle bit of the tower and the shard in the background. One of them's been there for nearly a thousand years, one of them is there about a decade. Go forward a thousand years, which is more likely to still be there? Do you reckon? Some reckon the shard, I reckon the Tower of London personally, but anyway, we can talk about that over lunch. Go forward into eternity... Neither one's going to be there, is it? But you are. And I am. And everyone around us, everyone we know, they'll be in eternity. Either with God in his direct presence forever or separated from God forever. With God because we put our trust in his Son 
the only one who's the saviour, the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. Or separated from God because we trusted something else. We trusted ourselves or another theory of life. And that's all of us. Paul sees how precious every single individual is to Jesus. And he says, if I can tell you more about Jesus, I'd love to do that. If I can strengthen you and encourage you, let me send Timothy to help you do that. I'll do whatever it takes. And that's authentic Christianity. That's authentic church. Treasuring Christ's people, starting for us with, well, look around. The people sitting here this morning. That's who we're called to be family to and to treasure and to seek to help them to grow in any way we can as well as to grow ourselves. Now, of course, the challenge of living below with those you know is you can see all the problems. You remember the time that, well, he said something or she did something and I really, it really hurt me. I, I was really upset. It takes work to keep forgiving each other. And that's why we need to keep singing each week of Jesus' love for us so we can soak in that message. We need to keep receiving his love so that we can then be changed by it to love each other. People who who know that actually Christ has forgiven us for everything, so we can forgive one another for what we've done. The time I've most intensively experienced that in this uh, church family, Um, and something of that delight was uh, the January after I broke my hip, um, coming up to the four-year anniversary, Um, and... um, it was just, oh, it was, it was wonderful to be uh, visited by lots of people here. Um, uh, it was just, it was just, I don't know, I was just, I'm still hugely thankful uh, for all of you who, who visited me, who brought me things, who, who were just so kind. Um, but do you know what? The other thing I was just so thankful for in that month was the time where we... Because I was sitting down, couldn't go anywhere, people came and when they visited, they shared a bit about what was going on in their lives. Shared some of the stories of where they've been through hard times and could tell me the story of how God brought them through that and what they'd learned. And it was just brilliant because we were sharing life together and praying together and it was deep and amazing and and I said, I said, um, some of you may remember me saying that, apart from my breaking my hip, I've had an absolutely brilliant January, a brilliant start to the year. The challenge is, and it's been the challenge since, and it is for all of us because we end up getting so busy, is how can we do that in normal time with each other and treasure those opportunities? Well, stay for lunch if you possibly can. That's an opportunity straight away. But in normal time, how can we be those who are sharing our lives, going deep, caring for each other, encouraging each other. So easy, isn't it? If we do see each other each week, if we, if we stay behind for a cuppa, just to say, well, talk about the kind of the obvious things. How's the job? How's the health? How are the children? How are the grandchildren getting on? It's great to talk about those things, but are we going to that sort of next step? Not just to talk about the promotion or the pay rise or the project, but How's it going in terms of your spiritual life at work? Are you able to... Um, are, you, are you still growing in your spiritual life or is it actually depressing you as you go into the office on Monday morning or into the, um, uh, into the shop or wherever it is you work? And how's it going? How's it going in the battle not to be a materialist? How, how's that going? How, how's it going with the temptation to please your boss instead of pleasing Jesus? How's that? 
How about the temptation for that casual fling with the co-worker who keeps uh, trying to charm you? How, How are you getting on with that? How can I pray? How can I help? Could I give you a ring at lunchtime and just get an update? Would that be useful? Should we read something together, watch something together, pray about something together that will encourage us? Yeah? The church term card has uh, details of the organised programme that we put on to try and help with that. And I want to highlight life groups because they're aiming to be that every week where we share about stuff that matters. But that's, that's a programme. This is about a mindset. This is about saying, actually, my brothers and sisters in Christ really matter. There is nothing more valuable here and now. The future is the most valuable thing, but here and now, the people are what matters most and where I should be investing my time and energy. I used to be a leader on um, one of the uh, camps that our young people go on there, down at Sparkford in Somerset. And one of the joys of uh, being a leader on that camp for kind of quite a few years was seeing uh, young people come on the camp as teenagers and wrestle with what it means to be a Christian and sort of, should I follow Jesus? And then say yes to him and, and then come back as leaders uh, a few years later. I still remember a, a guy called Mark Fossey. He's now a pastor down in South London. And we prayed over the years for Mark. And when he came back as a leader, I can still remember being in that room the first time he spoke up and led the meeting in prayer. And just that sense of, yes, at God's work in his life over those years. And obviously it's carried on. He's now pastoring a church. Paul says to the Christians he's, he knew, he just knew them for three and a bit weeks. And yet he says, you are our glory and, go- and joy. He does everything he can to help them. I know, what, what's an everyday example of something that we could do to help someone in this church grow as a Christian? How about babysitting so that someone could go on a course or make it to a life group? How about sacrificially giving money so that we can continue to employ a staff team and invest in people? How about giving your time and talents to make church happen in a way that everyone feels welcome and included so that we can hear God's word and pray and sing and build one another up? That's the sort of thing that an authentic church does because we're committed to one another. What will the harvest of your life be? What will the harvest of my life be? Jesus is coming back to rescue all who put their faith in him from the coming wrath. So will we treasure Christ's coming, living with eternity's values in view? if we are and we want to, then day by day, will we treasure Christ's people investing our lives in helping other people to know him and to live for him.